So we got um, two Bible reading this morning, um, Job 4 and Luke chapter 13, verse 1 and 5. So Job 4, our first reading comes from Job chapter 4. Last week we saw Job in depths of despair, extreme suffering, and had come his way to pour out his heart and soul to God in lament. Chapter 4 picks up the response to Job's lament by one of his friends, Eliphaz. So I'll give you a moment to open your Bible now. Then Eliphaz, the Temanites, replied, If someone ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? But who who can keep speaking? Think how you have instructed many. How you can have strengthened feeble hands. Your words have supported those who stumbled. You have strengthened faltering knees. But now troubles come to you and you are discouraged. It strikes you and you are dismayed. Should not your piety be your confidence and your blameless ways your hope? Consider now. Who being innocent has ever perished? Where were the upright ever destroyed? As I have observed, those who peril evil and those who sow trouble repeat. As the breath of God they perish, at the blast of his anger they are no more. The lions may roar and growl, yet the teeth of the great lions are broken. The lion perishes for the lack of prey, and the cubs of lioness are scattered. A word was secretly brought to me. My ears caught a whisper of it. Amid disquieting dream in the night, when deep sleep falls upon people, fear and trembling seized me and made all my bones shake. A spirit glided past my face, and the hair on my body stood on end. It stopped, but I could not tell what it was. A form stood before my eyes, and I heard a hushed voice. Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can even a strong man be more pure than his maker? If God places no trust in his servants, if he charges his angels with error, how much more those who live in the houses of clay, whose foundation are in the dust? who are crushed more readily than a moth. Between dawn and dusk, they are broken to pieces, unnoticed, they perish forever. Are not the cords of their tent pull up so that they die without wisdom? Going to read the second reading now in Luke's. Luke chapter 13, verse 1 to 5. In our next reading, comes from the Gospel of Luke here. Jesus is speaking about two disasters which seem to have happened in Jerusalem. Now there were some present at a time who who told Jesus about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that the Galileans, these Galileans were more sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered 
this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in the asylum fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Thanks, Noreen. Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you here this morning to open up uh, God's Word and, and to get stuck into Job. I, I've been really looking forward to uh, exploring, opening up the book of Job. I think it's got a lot uh, to teach us, especially in light of suffering, which is it's a shared condition, right? We, uh, it's something that we all face and are challenged by. So, yeah, I'm really excited to get into Job, not just this week, but um, for the coming weeks as well. Now, in the news this week, I read about a man. The man himself was a... Um, he was convicted... He, he was a prisoner, but he was convicted of mur- the murder of a fellow inmate. Um, and that man, he knew he was guilty, uh, and he pleaded as such uh, in court. And he was even proud of being guilty of, of what he'd done. Uh, he was proud of his crime uh, because the man that he murdered was a convicted pedophile. Now, I wonder what you think of that. I reckon most Australians would would probably be okay with that sort of thing, thinking that that pedophile got what was coming to him. It's just the world catching up with him. A a bit of karma, getting what he deserved. Now, today, we're thinking about the idea of God's justice and what that has to do with human suffering. As I said before, suffering, it's a universal experience, isn't it? Everyone suffers. Yes, some more than others, but in one way or another, we all suffer. It's great that we get to spend time in the book of Job, wrestling with all the complexities of human suffering. You know, if if we are the ones going through suffering, then how do we process it? How do we cope with it? How do we get by? What do we make of it in light of who God is and, and how He's revealed Himself to us? Where do we go or who do we turn to for comfort? And if we're the ones kind of helping others through their suffering, what do we do? What do we say? How can we respond in ways that are actually helpful and actually loving. Hopefully, as we look at the book of Job more and more, then these answers will become clearer and clearer. All right, we're going to dig into the text of Job now. Uh, So yeah, quick recap, remember where we left things last week, Uh, by Job chapter 3, it's so obvious that Job himself, he's a broken, depressed and, and absolutely destitute man. He's lost all his possessions, his kids have died, uh, and his wife just kind of scolds him and and, and mocks him, and he's afflicted with all these sores all over his body. His suffering is immense, that that much is clear. And it's probably, really, too much for any one person to bear. His lament in chapter 3 particularly, it shows that he can't take it anymore. The pain and loss, it's just unbearable. 
So much so that he curses the day on which he was born. He, he pleads with God, he begs God that he would make the suffering stop. Job has absolutely had enough. But notice for a moment who it is that Job reaches out to in his extreme and dire circumstances. It's God, it's God, isn't it? You know, often when we are in pain or turmoil, we kind of withdraw from God and His people. It's all too much. Why, God? Why is God doing this to me? No one else is really going to understand my situation. But Job shows us that the right act of the believer is to run to God and, and to pour out our souls to Him, pour out that, that pain and that heartache. Even when Job is at his lowest, he acts in faith by not turning away from God, but turning to God. Job, he's utterly confused. He doesn't know why he's enduring the severe suffering that he is. But he knows that God is the only one that he must turn to because ultimately God is is the one who's powerful and in control of all things. So over the next 24 chapters of Job, uh, they take us through a number of conversations between Job and his friends. Yes, I know it's um, a bold thing to do, but we really are going to try and cover 24 chapters of Job uh, today. Are you up for the challenge? I kind of am. Yeah, let's strap in. Let's dig into it. As I said before, chapters 4 to 27, Job, there's a number of conversations between Job and his three friends. So his three friends, uh, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, we've actually been introduced to them um, already in uh, chapter 2. There we're told, so they've learned that Job is going through this suffering and so they decide together to to set out uh, and to be with their friend so that they might comfort him. And for seven days and seven nights, they sit with him in silence, um, just in recognition of, of the terrible pain that Job is in. And when comforting someone um, in the midst of suffering, often silence is appropriate, isn't it? Because silence, it, it acknowledges the depth of the pain that the other person's going through, uh, but it also signals to them that you're there for them, that you're by their side. But at some point, words will need to be spoken because gentle, kind and loving words will lift the perspective of the mourner. Kind words really can comfort and encourage and point to the all-loving God who is for us and with us. So while these three friends might have shown a bit of wisdom as they mourned in silence with Job, As they begin to speak, it's going to become quickly apparent that they lack the wisdom needed to give Job the true comfort that he needs. Now, these speeches uh, between Job and his friends, they occur in three cycles. Uh, So what happens is Eliphaz speaks, uh, we'll see that in chapter 4, and then Job replies, Bildad speaks, Job replies, Zophar speaks, Job replies, So that's the first cycle. 
Um, then it kind of starts up again. Eliphaz, Job, uh, Bildad, Job, Zophar, Job, second cycle, and then a third time. Third time, Eliphaz speaks, Job responds, uh, Bildad, Job, and then the third time, Zophar, for some reason, doesn't get a chance to speak. Job finishes up that third cycle of speeches by rounding out his responses to his friends. Now, obviously, we don't have the time to look at all those speeches, uh, but what we'll do, we'll focus in on Eliphaz's first uh, speech and, and see what we can pick up from it. So, although each of these friends say things slightly different to Job each time, as a whole, they generally have a very similar message for him. Uh, At the very least, the the framework by which they understand God's justice in in light of human suffering, it's pretty much the same. So, let's pick it up. Uh, Verse 1 of Job chapter 4. Hopefully, you've got your Bibles open there. Then Eliphaz the Temanite replied, If someone ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? But who can keep from speaking? Think how you instructed many and how you strengthened feeble hands. Your words have supported those who stumbled. You have strengthened faltering knees. But now trouble comes on you and you are discouraged. It strikes you and you are dismayed. So Eliphaz, he he kind of begins well enough. Uh, He considers Job, he thinks about the sort of person that he is. Um, And he he reflects that Job has been helpful to others in the past. He's he's aided others going through suffering. He's strengthened feeble hands. He's encouraged others in his words. But in verse 5, you kind of begin to sense a hint of jealousy on behalf of Eliphaz and, and his friends. Job, you, you've helped others in the past, but now that trouble kind of falls upon you, you can't hack it. Bit hypocritical of you, isn't it, Job? Maybe there's a hint of tall poppy syndrome, who knows? But the tone of Eliphaz turns pretty quickly from one of comforter to accuser. Eliphaz thinks that Job is guilty of wrongdoing. Eliphaz thinks that the reason Job is suffering so severely is because there must be some sin in his life that he is guilty of. So we see this even more clearly in verses 7 to 8. These verses, they really get to the core of how Job's friends view God, uh, his justice and human suffering. So verse 7 and 8 of chapter 4. Consider now, who, being innocent, has ever perished? Where were the upright ever destroyed? As I have observed, those who plough evil and those who sow trouble reap it. You get their argument, right? You do good and good things will follow. You do evil and evil follows. You reap what you sow. It's a powerful argument, isn't it? Because so often in life, that's our experience. You know, the pedophile gets caught, winds up in prison, gets hurt, maybe even killed. They had it coming to them. They're so evil, suffering will be their reward. You know, the greedy person um, who rips off others, their world comes tumbling down, they lose all their possessions, they lose all dignity, 
That's just how the world works. That was Eliphaz's experience of life. As I have observed, those who sow trouble reap it. And so, so often, it's our experience in life. I'm sure you could uh, recount uh, many examples of that being the case. It's a powerful way of understanding uh, God's interactions with the world because even the Bible speaks about the world in this way. Uh, You see it come up a lot in the wisdom literature of the Bible. One example, Proverbs chapter 22. Whoever sows injustice reaps calamity and the rod they wield in fury will be broken. The generous will themselves be blessed for they share their food with the poor. That's the lens, that's the framework by which Eliphaz views the world. And so when he sees Job's suffering in such a severe way, the logical conclusion then is that he must have done something wrong, deserving of the pain that he's going through. Eliphaz, he he tells Job that his suffering is a result of discipline from the Lord. So chapter 5, verse uh, 17. Blessed is the one whom God corrects. So do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. Uh, Bildad, the second friend, in in chapter 8, verse 4, he extends the argument further by suggesting that Job's kids were guilty and so thus deserving of their death. Uh, Job 8, verse 4, when your children sinned against him, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. It's a pretty heartless claim to make, and especially in the midst of such pain and loss that Job is going through. It's really cringy and painful to take in and to hear these friends respond to Job. Zophar, the third friend, he says that the wicked are going to be brought low. Job chapter 20, verse 4 and 5. Surely you know how it has been from of old. Ever since mankind was placed on the earth, that the mirth of the wicked is brief. The joy of the godless lasts but a moment. The wicked will get what's coming to them. That's the theology of Job's friends. You reap what you sow. You get what you give. What do you think? Fair enough? Well, it's essentially, yeah, karma 101. Do good, receive blessing. Do bad, and bad will be returned to you. Isn't it what modern day religion teaches us? Do better. Do enough to earn God's favour. You know, how, how wonderful was it to hear kind of Shan Shan describe, you know, life before becoming Christian, that, that weight on her shoulder, never being able to be good enough, and how that weight was just lifted uh, in Christ and because of His work. Another way you see that, the idea of reaping what you sow, it's, it's the prosperity gospel, isn't it? Want to live a blessed life? Do good to others, and that good is going to be returned to you. Are you having a hard time? You're going through suffering? Clearly, you lack faith in God. Have more faith. I mean, whatever that means. Repent of your sins. Surely you must be suffering because of some hidden sin in your life. Job's friends think that he is suffering because he is guilty 
of sin. But what does Job think? Now, next week, we're going to look into more detail about how Job responds to his friends. But it's enough now to notice that he completely disagrees with his friend's assessment. Job's claim is that he's innocent. He's examined his life and his attitude towards God, and he can find nothing in his life deserving of the sort of suffering that he's being asked to endure. Job's not too happy with his friends. So look at Job chapter 6, verse 29 to 30. Relent, do not be unjust. Reconsider, for my integrity is at stake. Is there any wickedness on my lips? Can my mouth not discern malice? I'm innocent. I'm innocent. That is one of Job's repeated refrains. He's examined his life and he can find nothing deserving of the sort of punishment that he's going through. Of course, Job, he's not claiming to be perfect. He knows that he's a sinner and he knows that God is the only one that can offer the forgiveness of sins. He he says that thing in chapter 7. It's just that in this particular instance, he cannot make sense of his suffering. His friends claim that there is sin in his life that he needs to repent of. But Job is certain that he's innocent of wrongdoing. So it quickly becomes apparent to Job that his friends aren't going to be much help for him. Uh, At one point he calls them miserable comforters. Uh, And Job in chapter 19, he, he even imagines this kind of redeemer or mediator who who might speak for him before God. Uh, But as he kind of considers that thought, then it dawns on him that who is there to mediate between him and God? Who, Who is there to be an advocate but God himself? And so kind of disappointed uh, with his friends, uh, by the end, Job turns to God and demands a counsel with him, demanding answers for the unjust pain and suffering that he is enduring. Job wrestles with God. He's perplexed by God. He challenges God to come before him and give answers to the questions that he has. But in all his struggles... He does it as a God-fearer. He, he, he does it as a follower of God. Job is suffering so, so much. But in his broken and downcast state, he trusts God. He runs to God in faith, even as he struggles to make sense of all that's going on in his life. Job clearly disagrees with his friends. But what about God? What is God's assessment of Job, probably the one that really matters. So remember that interaction that we had between God and Job in chapters 1 and 2. Satan, he'd been roaming the earth and God summons him and says, hey Satan, have you considered my servant Job? He's blameless and upright. That is God's assessment of Job from the outset. Blameless and upright. He's someone who fears God and shuns evil. It's clear to us as readers that Job's suffering is not a result of sin. And if we jump to the end of the book of Job, a similar theme emerges. So Job chapter 42, verse 7, kind of cheating here, going to the end. After the Lord had said these things to Job, 
he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. At the end of it all, God's assessment is that these three friends of Job's have misrepresented him and spoken falsely about him. And so because of that, God is angry at his friends. Job, on the other hand, has, um, is described as speaking truthfully about God. And this isn't surprising really because we know Job to be a blameless and upright person. Now, in the coming weeks, we're going to wrestle further with um, the idea and consider Job's interactions with God, where he really seems to push the boundaries of that relationship. But for now, it's enough for us to notice that at the book ends of Job, we get God's clear assessment concerning him. He is blameless and upright, a man who speaks truthfully of God. Three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad and Zophar, have got it wrong when it comes to God and how his justice works. So where did they go wrong? What is lacking in these friends' understanding of God? Well, the first thing to say is that their notions of justice, it's just too simplistic. That kind of one-to-one correlation, cause and effect, reap what you sow, It works sometimes, but just because it works sometimes doesn't mean that it's the case every time. And if you comfort someone with that sort of a simplistic understanding of God's justice and human suffering, then it's going to be harmful and unloving. In the end, that's what we see from Job's friends. Maybe you've been on the end of counsel like that you'll know how damaging and heartless it really is. Uh, Jesus in Luke chapter 13, which Noreen read out for us, he smashes the idea of simplistic justice. Luke 13 verse 1. Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. All those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Uh, Jesus here speaks about two tragedies that seem to have occurred in Jerusalem. On the first occasion, some Galileans had come to Jerusalem to worship God by offering sacrifices at the temple. Uh, It seems that Pilate, the ruling governor of the time, he had them executed even as they were offering sacrifices to God. It seems like this particularly gruesome and cruel act. And so the assumption was that those Galileans Galileans must have been guilty or more sinful than anyone else. And then on another occasion, a tower in Siloam falls to the ground and it kills 18 people. Uh, Again, the assumption is that they must have been worse sinners than those around them. No, Jesus says, no, they weren't worse sinners. 
And rather than looking down on others, make sure that you are right with God. That's what Jesus warns the people of the time. Jesus here is suggesting that innocent or unjust suffering is actually a thing. Just like we see in Job's case, it's not always true that suffering is a direct result of sin. Now, sometimes we do suffer because of our sin. We ought to examine our lives and see if there's anything in it that needs repenting of. Um, That's something we should do anytime, whether in good or bad times. Sometimes we do suffer because we are being disciplined as God's children. Hebrews 12 draws that out. But other times we might suffer innocently. Uh, And that can be a hard thing, especially if the reason for that suffering is not revealed to us. But there is comfort in that, is there not? Because unjust suffering, it reminds us that not all is right with this world. It reminds us that things are broken and need fixing. Unjust suffering shows us that God's way ways are not simplistic but are complex but in that complexity God is big enough to maintain his justice and his holiness but ultimately does not unjust suffering remind us of Jesus the truly innocent one Jesus who bore the wrath of God even when he was innocent of wrongdoing Jesus who was tempted and suffered more than anyone and yet was without sin. Jesus, whom the Father loves and is pleased with, and yet was crushed for our rebellion. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ suffered innocently for us, so that we could be made right with God. We actually need innocent suffering to be a thing because without it, we'd be struck down in an instant. But Christ shed his innocent blood for us so that we, the guilty, might receive mercy and grace. All right, what else is wrong with the friends? Well, their tone and manner of trying to comfort Job, it just sucks. Um, There's no sympathy in their words They're simply armed with their supposed knowledge and they go straight at Job. There's no sympathy or any recognition of the pain that Job is going through beyond that kind of week of silence where they sit with him. So in the beginning, they kind of do okay, but as they engage Job in conversation, they refuse to listen to him. They lack any sympathy. They've got these theories on suffering but they don't really understand suffering. Uh, They're dishonest and then they jump to conclusions that fit their framework rather than listening well and engaging with Job. You know, it's actually a great privilege to be in the place of a friend, of a comforter, helping someone through suffering. Now, it's, it's not easy. It takes wisdom knowing what to say, when to say it, how to say it. But we must take those opportunities to comfort others because God wants us to love our brothers and sisters 
and to bear one another's burdens. Now, there's a lot that we can learn from the friends about what not to do in the place of a comforter. Other things that the friends are lacking is that there's just no spiritual dimension within their framework. You know, they talk about God as though he's this kind of distant, uh, far-off being. That's their understanding of God. You know, for, for us, what's one of the first things that we would do when we hear about our brothers and sisters suffering? What, what's one of the first things that we would do? Yeah, obviously, we, we'll pray for them, right? Um, without a question, really. Isn't it telling that these supposed friends of Job, they, they never seem to pray to God on his behalf in their framework, there's, there's no recognition of a personal God and there's no recognition of Satan kind of actively scheming behind the scenes with evil intent. Another thing that the friends lack are any notions of waiting. Everything must be now. The wicked ought to be punished immediately. The righteous ought to be blessed now. But God doesn't promise those things. Yes, in the end, all things will be made right. But that's a future thing at the final judgment. In the meantime, as follows, we need to keep watch and wait with patient endurance. All right, what about us? Um, What can we take away from these passages in Job? Well, when we're the ones who are suffering... Cling to God, cry out to Him, wrestle with Him. You know, sometimes the instinct is to turn away from God and to do our own thing, but fight that instinct. Run to God, plead with God, pour out your heart to God. He can take it. He wants us as His children to run to Him. He wants us as His children to experience the warm embrace of a loving Heavenly Father. Ask the why question, why God is this happening to me? And sometimes God might graciously grant us answers to that question. Other times, like in Job's case, he might not give the specific reasons as to why our suffering is happening. But one thing we can be assured of is that in God there is comfort and meaning and purpose because ultimately he is the one who is in control of all things he's working out his purpose in and through our suffering we can trust that his plans will succeed what about if we're in the place of a comforter well be a better friend than eliphaz bildad and zophar that's that's pretty low bar I reckon Uh, but let us comfort be there for our brothers and sisters in their time of need sit with them yes but listen intently speak with gentleness and sympathy speak with truthfulness and in love have a tone and attitude that is for the other person pray with them Focus on the gospel. Focus on the gospel to kind of direct our own hearts and attitude, but focus on the gospel 
to point others to the love of God. Focus on the gospel to show the love and the acceptance and freedom and forgiveness of sins that Christ offers. Focus on the gospel to remind others of the scorn and shame that Christ endured for us. Focus on the gospel to show the continuity that we have with Christ as we suffer on his behalf. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you for your word to us this morning. Uh, we pray that, especially in those times of suffering and trouble, that you would strengthen us. Help us to run to you in comfort, even as we face those challenges and struggles. Father, thank you so much for the gift of the gospel. Uh, thank you that Jesus suffered innocently on our behalf. And help us as believers to wait patiently for his return when all things will be made right. Amen.